All right, we are in Judges. We started last week going through the book of Judges. We read the first few verses of chapter 1, and that's where we will continue on tonight from where we left last week. Judges 1, verse 21 is where we will start. We read the first 20 verses last week, and we'll continue on. And give everybody a second to turn there. Judges chapter 1, starting in verse 21. And Lord willing, we'll finish out this chapter tonight. Now, a little recap. Last week, we really talked about Judah and Simeon. That was what most of the focus was on last week. Uh, Joshua had already led the people, uh, the Israelites, into the land of Canaan, which was the promised land that God had promised to give them. And they were each to get their own little section. When I say they, I mean the 12 tribes of Israel. They each had an allotted part of land that was to be theirs. And uh, Judah and Simeon had gone into the land, and Joshua was gone, and the question was asked, well, who's going to lead us now to fight against our enemies? Now, God responded to them, and I don't know exactly what way that occurred, if that was a, a voice from heaven or how God spoke to them, but in whatever way he did, God spoke to them and said, look, Judah is to go. Uh, they're to go into the land and continue doing what was to be done. Now, Most of the people had probably been driven out at this point in time, uh, but there were lots of inhabitants in the land of Canaan when the Israelites got there. It's not like the land was just sitting there waiting for them to come. There were lots of other people groups that were there. Now, you hear all these different ites, the Jebusites and the Parasites and the Girgashites or all these different ites you see that are mentioned. Now, sometimes when we see the term Canaanites in the Bible, sometimes it's just kind of referring to all the people of that same region of Canaan, uh, and sometimes it's referring to a specific group. So the term can be used in multiple ways. So sometimes you'll just see the Canaanites mentioned, and it's talking about the whole land as a whole, and sometimes you see Canaanites mentioned in the list of other uh, different groups. And so uh, the, the term Canaanites can be used, but, but it, it, it describes people who are living in that area where the Israelites were going. Now, Judah was to go, and they got Simeon to come along with them to help them fight, uh, to continue to drive out the inhabitants of the land that God had commanded. Now, whether that was a good thing or not, I don't know. That was not part of God's command, as we talked about last week, but uh, nonetheless, they asked Simeon to go with them. Now, Judah did pretty good. They went in and they conquered most of the enemies that were there, although there were some in one area that had iron chariots that they weren't able to drive out. Now, I believe that they weren't able to drive them out because of their lack of faith. Although the text doesn't tell us that, that's the only explanation that I could come up with. If God was with them and was going to be with them and all that God had done, uh, he had led them there and all the enemies they had overcome, it seems unlikely that a few iron chariots would stop God. And so if there was something that was not being done there, my guess would be it was due to their lack of faith. After all, we look back to the story of Jericho when the walls came tumbling down. It wasn't because they marched around the city for seven days and it somehow loosened up the soil, I don't believe. I believe that the wall fell because they were obedient to God. Now, it did fall because they uh, walked around the wall, but it fell because God told them to walk around the wall. And I believe it was their faith that caused their enemies to crumble there. And I believe that it was their faith that would have gone with them uh, as they were in the promised land going forward. Had they have been obedient to God, however, they were not. Now, we talked about a few other things last week, but I wanted to point out Judah because after we got through those first 20 verses, 
There's not much else good in the book of Judges. There's not much positives. Uh, even, even though Judah did a pretty good job, they still weren't completely obedient to the Lord. But the bad, the bad thing is, is that they were the best of the bunch. And so when we read of the book of Judges, we may, uh, we may think of Samson. He may come to mind first off. And if you do think of Samson and know the story, you know that he wasn't really obedient. He was a pretty wild guy, and he was not a, he was not a very godly guy. And, and if you don't know the rest of the judges, you will find out that they were bad like Samson too. Things get from, from pretty good uh, to bad to really bad to worse as we progress through the book. This is a very, this is kind of a downing book really if you think about it. Uh, but it's a good book for us to read because it's a good warning for us uh, and the things that we may struggle with. Although they may, the specifics may look different to us, uh, we still have those same temptations, I believe, that the Israelites had. And that temptation is to do what is evil and to turn from God. That's really the whole, the whole theme of the verse is the people did what was evil. They did what was right in their own eyes, but what was evil in the Lord's eyes. And we'll kind of see that theme uh, progress as we go through uh, the book. Uh, judges might be best described as uh, the record of the canonization of the Israelites because that's really what happens. Israel is supposed to go in and be a light to the other nations and the other nations see how great God is through Israel, but the exact opposite happens. Instead of uh, the Israelites going in and, and bringing glory to God and showing God's power, instead the Israelites turn into Canaanites, which is exactly what God told them not to do. God had given them instruction after instruction about not doing what the Canaanites did. Now there are a few scriptures that tell us that, and we won't read those tonight for time's sake, but if you want to look them up later, you can. They're in Deuteronomy chapter 7. If you read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, you will see those commands that God had given to the people of Israel. And in those commands, God said, you are to go in, I'm going to drive the people out, you are to destroy the people you come across, and completely annihilate them. Now, there was, no, there was no, no, no leeway there. God said, go in and completely annihilate the people who were there. Now, this is a difficult thing for some people to wrap their head around, that God would tell the Israelites to go in and destroy everybody and everything that was there. Not just a few people, not just the warriors, but everybody who was in the land of Canaan. Now, this is difficult, especially for many unbelievers, because they would say, well, boy, I don't want to serve a God who is like that. What kind of God is that that tells a people to go in and destroy all the people in a land? That's just a horrible thing to do. But what we need to keep in mind is that the people who were Canaanites were not innocent people. It's not as though God says, all right, you're in this land and I want my people to have it, so I'm kicking you out uh, just for the fun of it. The Canaanites were evil people. We see that in the scriptures. They were very evil people. They were as evil as the people came. Uh, they, they worshiped false gods. They sacrificed their children to these gods, just to name one thing that they did that just kind of gives us an idea of the type of evil that was going on in the land of Canaan. These were evil people. These were horrible people. Now, the fact that God brought judgment on them uh, is, 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 is God's will to do what He desires to do. He is a just God. Uh, some people would say, well, well boy, uh, God shouldn't destroy a people like that. They would say, well, God, God shouldn't do that. And so they, 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 they blame God for destroying evil. 
But then at the same time, you flip, this, you flip it around and there are people who will say, well, look at all the evil in the world. If God really cares, He would do something about the evil. But then if He did something about the evil, they would say, well, what kind of God destroys evil? So uh, you, can, you can take that argument whichever way you want to, and uh, oftentimes God is on the losing side of that argument. Now, what God does is right. He is just in what He does, and He was just in bringing punishment to those people. Uh, that judgment was deserved, and perhaps by, by annihilating those people, some of the children who were there, as hard as it is to accept, uh, God may have spared them from living a life of sin that would have uh, eternally uh, caused problems for them and been in judgment had they have lived and grown up under the, the rule and guidance of their fathers and mothers who were a sinful people. So as difficult as it may be for us to accept or wrap our head around, God did what was right and God did what was just. And these people that were destroyed, uh, for the most part, or what should have been destroyed entirely, uh, were not innocent people. And so uh, we need to keep that in mind as we, as we see these commands and think about these things that God told the Israelites to do. That being said, even though God told them to do that, they did not carry that out. And it turned turned uh, out that it got them into a lot of trouble. Now, God told them why He wanted them destroyed. Now, we need to understand why God wanted to destroy these people. It was not that God was a racist. That's what some people will say. Oh, God was a racist. He wanted to destroy this certain race. Nope, that's not that's not what it was about. Uh, some say, well, it, well he, said, he told them not to intermarry. And so, uh, again, there's, there's problems there and this, that, and the other. And all these different reasons that people will come up with as to why God wanted to drive the people out and destroy them. But there is only one reason that the Bible actually says as to why these people were deserving of this kind of punishment. And that reason was sin. They were an evil, sinful people. It had nothing to do with their race. It had nothing to do with anything else. It didn't have anything to do with God's hatred toward them just because He didn't like them. The problem was they were sinful people and God was dealing with that sin. He knew the evil that was in their heart and He knew if the Israelites were to go there and they were to put up with the, the, the evil that was going on that they too uh, would be drawn in and they would give in and they would begin to do those evil things. And so that gives us a little bit more of a backdrop as we're getting into the book of Judges to, to kind of remind us, one, what God commanded them to, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and plenty of other places uh, as far as that goes, uh, and, 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 and the reason why He told them to do it. He told them to destroy them, but He told them to destroy them because they were evil. Now, there were some as they went into the land, if you may uh, have ever read the story of Rahab, who was a prostitute in the land of Jericho, and God spared her. Why? Because she feared the Lord. The proverb says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I believe God was faithful to those who would have feared Him and come to Him, although there would have been very few of the Canaanites who would have feared the Lord and come to Him. But of those who did, Rahab being a good example, God uh, took her in. She's uh, listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, you can't say that God just hated those people for the sake of hating them. No, the problem was sin. And most of them were not willing to turn from their sin and turn to Him. And so as a result of that, uh, they were facing God's judgment, which was a right and just judgment. All right, that gives us a little more background. Let's jump into the text. We left off with Judah and Simeon. I don't think I prayed yet. Let's pray, and then we'll get in. Father God, we come to you tonight, and we thank you for your word. And I pray that you help us to understand what, we, what, we, what we're reading and help us to learn, and help us to learn from what they went through, the Israelites, dear Lord, and their mistakes. Help us not to 
be sinful and, 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 and make the same kind of choices and mistakes in our life, dear Lord, but to be obedient to you, whatever you call us to. God, help us to trust you that you know what you're doing and that you're not an evil, unjust God, but you're a loving, dear, uh, you're a loving God, dear Lord, and you want to do us right and you want uh, all to be kept from sin. Uh, not just us in this room, but everybody, everywhere, dear Lord. You wanted that for the Canaanites, but God, they chose to live in sin. And so, God, I pray that you help us to understand those tough, those tough scriptures that we see. I pray that you be with me as I preach and teach. Help our ears to be open. Help us to be ready for a good, good night to hear your word. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. All right, verse 21. At the same time, the Benjaminites uh, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. The Jebusites have lived among the Benjaminites in Jerusalem to this day. Now, what we see here is, is a primer. It's getting us ready for what we're fixing to see in the next few verses to come. For the most part, it's going to be the same thing. We go through the different tribes. Not all of them here in the first chapter, uh, but we do have nine tribes that we see uh, that are mentioned. And apart from Judah and Simeon doing the right thing, uh, the rest of them don't really, don't really do the right thing. And the, the tribe of Benjamin here does not. Uh, they, uh, they did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in the land. Uh, so what we're going to see is this pattern of allowing a few of the people to stay in the land. And that's going to cause big problems for the Israelites moving forward, as we will see. We kind of shift gears a little bit here in verse 22 and begin to talk about Joseph. The house of Joseph also attacked Bethel, and the Lord was with them. They spent, sent spies to Bethel. The town uh, was formerly named Luz. The spies saw a man coming out of the town and said to him, Please show us how to get into the town, and we will we'll treat you well. When he showed them the way into the town, they put the town to the sword, but released the man and his entire family. Then the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a town, and named it Luz. That is the name, its name to this day. Now here's something that we will spend just a minute on. And that is, uh, that is Joseph and the tribe of Joseph. Now the tribe of Joseph is a little unique to the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, and, and the reason it is unique... Now Joseph was, uh, was the son that the other 11 sold into slavery. He ended up in Egypt. He was second in command of Pharaoh. Uh, through, through, through Joseph, the Israelites were spared from the famine in the land because he had prepared for food to be set aside. So when, when all of his brothers and his father came to Egypt during the famine and the father found out that he was alive, what a great day that was. And it was because of Joseph that uh, essentially the Israelites were able to uh, continue to live and continue to grow and be God's chosen people, as he said. Now, Later on in life, before uh, Joseph's father died, uh, Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, before he died, uh, he called Joseph in, and he wanted to give Joseph a double portion, so to speak, what might be the best way to describe it. Before he died, he told Joseph that Joseph's sons would receive his inheritance. They would get their own sp specific special portion of the land. So it would not go through Joseph necessarily, but instead Joseph's sons would be recognized as their own individual tribes in Egypt. Now, Jacob's sons were named um, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, Ephraim was the younger of the two, but as we see a lot in Scripture up to this point, uh, the younger child received the greater blessing. So we are introduced to Ephraim and Manasseh in Genesis chapter 48. You can see that whole event take place. 
Now, this is important for us to recognize this because in a few places in Scripture, we're going to see the 12 tribes mentioned. And sometimes those names are going to be different. Now, it's difficult to kind of know exactly why some of those names are different and some are left out. Sometimes we see the name Joseph in the list, and we don't see the name Ephraim, but we do see the name Manasseh. Now, usually when Joseph is referred to, it is speaking of Ephraim. Uh, although you may see Ephraim and Manasseh and some, and you may see Joseph and Manasseh and some. Uh, you may also see Levi and some, which adds another wrinkle in the mix, because the Levites weren't allotted a portion of land. So when you look at the 12 tribes of Israel, there were all the 12 tribes, but Levi was taken out of the mix as far as getting land because they were the priests. They didn't have a land of their own, but they served all over the land. So that left with 11. Well, then Joseph was taken out and replaced with his two sons. Uh, so we go from 11, take Joseph out, 10, and we add Ephraim and Manasseh to the mix, which make up the 12 tribes. Now here we see Joseph mentioned. Now it could be speaking collectively of Ephraim and Manasseh, since they're the next two tribes that are mentioned in the verses to come. Or it could be uh, referring to Joseph as Ephraim. Now, I tend to think, and I could be wrong here, but I believe when it says the house of Joseph, I believe it's probably talking about Ephraim and Manasseh, although it could just be talking about Ephraim in this passage. Uh, but the, the story is somewhat similar to the story that we see with Rahab when the spies went into Jericho, although it's a little different in that this man that they spared his life who helped them find a way into the city to attack it, uh, they, they said they would spare he and his family, although we don't have any evidence that he feared the Lord in the same way that Rahab did, although perhaps he did. We are not told that. But regardless, uh, he is, his life is spared. Now, if he's not a God-fearing man, then his life should not have been spared. He should have been destroyed. Now, the place that they went to, uh, where they sent spies to, was Bethel, which was a town that was, uh, used to be known as Luz. Now, this guy that they let go, who was a Canaanite, uh, went out and started a town again. And guess what? He called it Luz. And more than likely, he continued on in the same evil ways that the Canaanites had always did, which is why God had told them to destroy them, not to allow them to go free and start another town and start over. And so we see here that they're not carrying out what God has called them to carry out. Now, Bethel is significant to us in that uh, if you go back and read in Genesis chapter uh, 28 and again in chapter 48, there was a time when, when uh, Jacob, also known as Israel, was in Bethel, which was formerly Luz, and he had a dream, and in that dream he saw the Lord, and the Lord told him, this land where you are right now is going to be your descendants. They are going to fill this land. And he set up a little altar there, and he named the place Bethel. And so when we see Bethel here, although it would have been known by Luz as the Canaanites, the Israelites would have known it as Bethel from the story when God appeared to Jacob. And so when we see Bethel and Luz here, that's why we kind of have two different names because the different groups would have known it by different places. So this place does have significance because at this place, God had promised Jacob his descendants would be there. And lo and behold, here they are. They have finally made it. They have finally come in and they're finally driving out all these people. Now you may say, 
Well, why didn't they just drive them out all when they got there? Well, God had already told them that's not how it's going to work. God says you will drive them out slowly. And God even gives a reason. He said because if you drive them all out at once, uh, the wild animals will come in and take over the land. Now, you may remember that from Exodus when we read in Exodus, I believe chapter 13, don't hold me to that, is where it talks about that. And so God didn't drive all the uh, Canaanites out at once because the land would have become desolate. It would have become overgrown. The animals would have come in. And so as long as there were inhabitants in the land, everything could be kept up. And so as the Israelites come, they would drive out the Canaanites and everything would just kind of keep going smooth if they were doing what God told them to do. So that's why that they were still some Canaanites left after Joshua died because God had planned it to be exactly that way. And so we see this event take place with Luz and they allow this guy to go and he goes and he uh, starts a new town by the same name. Now, we kind of see the more of the same here that we saw with Benjamin in the next few verses. Verse 27, At that time Manasseh failed to take possession of Bethshean and its villages, and Teanach and its villages, are the residents of Dor and its villages, are the residents of Iblium and its villages, are the residents of Megiddo and its villages. The Canaanites refused to leave this land. Or, or some translations may say the Canaanites begin to live in this land. Now, again, this was not what God told them to do. They were to go into all these places and they were to drive them out. They were to destroy them. They were to kill them. But they did not do it. They allowed the Canaanites to continue to live in the land. Verse 28, When Israel became stronger, they made the Canaanites serve as forced labor, but never drove them out completely. At that time, Ephraim failed to drive out the Canaanites who were living in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived among them in Gezer. Now again, we see something that they weren't supposed to do. God didn't say go in, get strong, overpower them, and make them be your slaves. He said go in and destroy them. Now isn't it ironic that the Israelites, who had been oppressed by the Egyptians for years and been their slaves, now they have been delivered and they are coming in and now they're going to force someone else to do the same thing. They are repeating this cycle. Now God didn't say enslave these people, you've overtaken them, let them serve you. God said destroy them. God wasn't, he didn't care about the Canaanites serving the Israelites because he, was, he knew what was going to happen and that is the sin of the Canaanites would pull the Israelites away. Again, another example. We see this example, this language. They didn't destroy them. They kept them around. They used them as slaves. But they, they, there was a remnant of those Canaanites there. And with those Canaanites remained their evil ways. Verse 30. Zebulun failed to drive out the residents of Kitron and the residents of Nahalel. So the Canaanites uh, lived among them and served as forced later. Again, different tribe, same results. We're starting to see a pattern here. Verse 31, Asher failed to drive out the residents of Akko, or of Sidon, or of Halab, Oxib, Helba, Aphek, or Rehob. The Asherites lived among the Canaanites who were living in the land because they failed to drive them out. Again, different tribe, same result. Let's read a little further. Verse 33, Nephtali did not drive out the residents of Beth Shemesh or the residents of Beth Anath. They lived among the Canaanites who were living in the land, but the residents of Beth Shenath and Beth Anath served as their forced labor. Again, 
Different tribe, similar result to what we had just seen. Verse 34, The Amorites forced the Danites into the hill country and did not allow them to go down into the valley. The Amorites refused to leave. Harhares, Ajalon, and Shablim. When the house of Joseph got the upper hand, the Amorites were made to serve as forced labor. The territory of the Amorites extended from the ascent of Akraben, that is, Sela, upward. So here we see in this introduction of the book in the first chapter, Judah and Simeon did pretty good, and more specifically Judah in those first few verses. Caleb was given the land that he was supposed to be allotted. We saw that in the last few verses we read last week. But then this week when we start out, we see that the Israelites are not doing anything that God told them to do. Instead, they're just kind of, they're in the land. They've probably got most of the land by now. Uh, the people that are there, they're kind of pushing back. They, they're not going easily. And so we're just going to kind of set up camp. We'll allow them to, to sit around with us and, and everything's going to be fine. Or so they thought. But as we're going to see moving forward, it's not going to be fine. Because putting up with a little bit of sin is going to put them in a whole lot of trouble. Now we need to make a lesson of what's taking place here with the Israelites. Because we are not, we are not immune to falling into the same type of traps. Now, God has not called us to go in and kill a people group. Praise the Lord for that. We need to be very careful with the book of Judges and what God had called them to do. Now, sometimes I have heard verses and what God commanded the Israelites to do in going in and destroying those nations as justification for, well, if we go to war, we have to destroy them completely because that's what God told us to do. No, that's what God told the Israelites to do. God has never commanded the United States to go to war against anybody, nor has God commanded us to completely wipe out another race or another people from another country. We need to be careful if we make that type of distinction because I do not believe that that's the context or what God's Word would tell us to do as Christians. Now, there may be times that we do have to go to war, but I don't know if it's justifiable to say, well, the God told the Israelites to go in and take the land and destroy everybody, and therefore we have to destroy everybody too. Now, the heart behind what God was saying there is destroy them all, because if you let them live, they're going to come back and do more evil. Well, that thought process may be true in war today. So I'll let you decide what you think we need to do in war today and how we need to treat people and what we need to be involved in. That's between you and the Lord. But I will give you a word of warning to be careful and not be too quick to say, well, let's go to war and let's completely destroy them because that's what God told the Israelites to do to Canaan. This is a whole separate situation from what we are doing today. This was a very specific command with very specific instructions for very specific people. We are not the 12 tribes of Israel, and we are not promised a land. That is, as Christians or as Americans, as far as that goes, our inheritance is in heaven with Jesus Christ. And that's where we are going to be, and that is set aside for us, and that day will one day come. But as for this earth, uh, we don't have a set-aside land as the Israelites did here in the Scriptures. So we need to be careful with that. We also need to be careful with sin that may creep into our life because it may be easy for us to say, I can let a little bit of sin in. I can leave a little bit of sin in my life. Well, this ain't hurt nothing. I'm pretty good in every other area, but a little bit of sin can go a long way. A little yeast can leaven the whole bunch. And so we need to be aware of that in our lives. There may be things that God has called us to do 
and we didn't fully commit to what God called us to. Maybe it was in service in some way. And we feel like God's calling us to do this or God's calling us to do that and we want to kind of compromise. Well, God, I don't feel comfortable doing that. That's too hard. But I'll do a little bit of it. See, don't you see how I'm doing, God? That's good enough. I didn't do it completely. Well, no, when God calls us to something, He wants us to do it completely the way He calls us to do it. The Israelites didn't do that. They put up with a little sin. They lost their faith in the Lord. They weren't completely obedient to Him. And as a result, it got them in a mess. And the same is true for us. If we don't do those same things that the Israelites didn't do, then guess what? We are going to be in a similar condition. And as we read forward through the book of Judges, that is not a condition that we want to be in. Let's pray. God, help us not to entertain sin. God, help us not to be disobedient to you. God, help us to, to trust you in our lives. Help us to have faith if you call us to do or to serve or to act in some way that we are fully obedient to you as good as we can be. I pray that you help us to see the sin in our life that shouldn't be there. I pray that you help us not to put up with a little bit of sin, uh, but to deal with what's there. And it's hard, dear Lord. So I pray that you help us to have the strength to do that and, 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 and be willing to take a stand for you and what's right and what your word commands, even though it, it may not always be easy. And I pray that you help us to learn from what we see of the Israelites and help us to learn from uh, their mistakes, help us to understand what your word says uh, and to be prepared to hear and to grow and to learn from it in the weeks to come. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.